Hello, welcome. This is Barry Cooper from Cooper and Carey. Have words a very happy new year to you. I'm here with my friend James Carey, who is 4,000 miles away in Yeovil, Somerset. James, how did the festive period treat you? We Christmased all the way to Twelfth Night and we have a celebration of Twelfth Night in our house to kind of round off Christmas so that it doesn't kind of just dribble disappointingly right. away. Now, my knowledge of Twelfth Night is based solely on the Shakespeare play, so I'm assuming that you mean that you do a lot of cross-dressing in the house. Is that what happens or what? <laughs> yeah, iambic pentameter um, and um, <laughs> lots of verily and forsooth. Unfunny jokes. Sure. Um, badinage, uh, which I think is 17th century <laughs> for bants, isn't it? It is. Um, Never mm. goodinage, it's always badinage, isn't it? <laughs> that is the and word so... of the podcast, is badinage. That was comedy that's worthy of Shakespeare, Shakespeare himself, yeah. Absolutely. And how about you? Uh, it was good. It was lovely. Had, a, had my sister over, which was a joy, and uh, had a great time. Now, in this episode, we're going to be talking about productivity. Hence, we've got straight to the point. I don't know about you, James, but looking at this subject, it seems to be a never-ending fountain of books to do with productivity. You know, are you productive? Do you get things done? Or do you constantly feel like you're chasing your tail with life happening to you rather than you happening to life? This is a very strong introduction, isn't it? I, I think I should actually write one of these books, to be honest. You should. I'd be the only person left on the planet who hasn't written one. But how can I be more productive in my life and feel less overwhelmed? I suppose that's the that's the gist of it, isn't it? That's the promise of these books and these seminars. Um, and to be honest, I don't know about you, but I, if you don't currently feel overwhelmed with your life, you will when you see how many titles there are in this marketplace. So things like Getting Things Done by David Allen, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, Deep Work by Cal Newport. I know you've read... Mm -hmm. I think you've read that, so we'll, I'll ask you about that in a sec. Uh, the One Thing by Gary Keller. Flow by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. That's that's the name. I shan't ask you to say that again. No, thank you. Don't. I just spell it out phonetically in my notes there. And A Thousand Ted Talks by Simon Sinek. And it's weird, though, isn't it? It's mostly North American authors. I don't know whether there are any British authors in this particular space of product productivity and what that says about these sorts of books. Do you think that, am I missing some great British guru of productivity that's out there somewhere? Probably not since Victorian times. There's probably a really right. great Victorian book of real, you know, up at five, cold shower, um, yes. march around the house several times. Invade several foreign countries. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Get locals to carry your bags. <laughs> You know, by which time you've you've reached <laughs> breakfast. So what? Is that? And that's and, and that's then the right. day can begin. I don't get that much done in a month. I remember reading in the in the biography of Charles Simeon that when he was at Cambridge, he used to get up and swim across the icy Cam River every morning at five a.m. I think it was five a.m. I mean, just getting up at five. That's that seems very productive. And I guess that brings us to a key question, which we'll get to, which is what is it? What is it we actually mean by productivity because you can't be productive unless you know what it is you're aiming at and i wonder if a christian definition of productivity is going to be different from um the many definitions of productivity that you get in the sorts of books that i've that i've mentioned anyway uh, already have you had any james have you had any encounters with any of this this material before has it been a thing in your life yes in fact i think i've spoken about on this podcast before i listened to uh, the ludicrously entitled uh, four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss, 
right. which was I thought was actually really helpful, even though I didn't agree with quite a lot of it, but I knew what he was going for. And mm. it gave me a bit of a shove in the right direction, mainly just stopping me from wasting my time doing things that I don't want to do and that I'm not very good at and that mm. it's probably not very helpful. My impression of a lot of these books is they are trying to, to some extent, save us from ourselves because we consistently make bad choices or choices that feel like the right thing or the polite thing and, mm. are, and are not uh, if you mm. continue to work in that way. Because the way we work and, the, and our, our practice of working daily has decades worth of consequences you know if you work if you get a habit and you do it every day it's going to have mm. a consequence so if, so you know make sure that you get some good habits because bad habits will really be a problem if you're trying to be productive yeah but is 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 that the aim i mean is is, is productivity itself overrated yeah i must admit i have a i ought to confess up front i've got a sort of deep-seated suspicion of this whole genre i've got a I want to confess to that because I've no doubt that there are, as you say, lots of really helpful principles we can get from it. My cynicism about it, I guess, is rooted in the fact that um, when I was 20, 21, I'd just become a Christian and I was scalped, as many British undergraduate students are, by an American organization called Southwestern, who come over, recruit British students and then say, come and sell books door to door. Um, in in the US for your summer job and they promise lots of money um, and you go to Nashville and you train at Southwestern I had like a week's boot camp which was all very much um, focused on productivity on being the most amazing seller of books that you can do it you've just got to get up at you know you've got to get up and have an icy cold shower it's literally one of the, the tips they gave you um, you would recite mantras to yourself in the in the mirror about how fantastic a salesperson you were going to be. And of course, the whole thing was a pyramid uh, selling kind of deal. Needless to say, I proved that uh, you couldn't become a brilliant seller even by, you know, by sheer force of will, because I was shockingly bad at it. I think it was probably officially a non-profit making organization by the end of it. And um, you somehow managed to collapse the pyramid, a profoundly stable structure, but somehow Barry <laughs> managed to ruin that particular uh, pyramid. Good That's work, right. my friend. Good work. That's right. When I look at these books, some of them, to me, it has a bit of a whiff of that. There's a bit of um, almost like the whiff of the ubermensch. Like, you know, you can be omnipotent. You can, you can really, you can, you can perfect your ability to, you know, pack in more hours into the day, in the day. You don't really need sleep. Sleep is for weaklings, you know. Mm. Well, I've got I've got Mark Wahlberg's um, schedule here in front of me. I remember this did the rounds a few years ago, right. and I just found it. And it says, 2.30 a.m., wake up. 2.45 a.m., prayer time. 3.15, breakfast. 3.40 to 5.15 a.m., workout. 5.30, post-workout meal. Shower, golf, snack. Cryo chamber recovery. I mean, which one of us doesn't struggle to get the cryo chamber recovery? Thing is, he's going to bed at seven thirty. Well, all you've just done is just shifted your day supremely early. None of it really. It feels like you are trying to be God in a funny sort of way. And hey, Mark Wahlberg wants to be God. I can imagine worse candidates, I guess. Yeah. But um, he's certainly got the abs for it. 
I wonder also, I think Mark Wahlberg's probably got quite a good sense of humour. He seems like an interesting kind of guy. And I wonder if he just said... Do you think this was a joke? Yeah, I just, just put it out. You know, I did this for one day and it nearly killed me. <laughs> you had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Day two, um, checked into Betty Ford. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cooper and Carrie have words. The word of the day is badinage. Badinage. Well, maybe we should get into that. What is pro- productivity? I keep saying productivity. This what comes. Yeah, it's because you now live in Florida, Barry, and it's too yeah, late. It does for you. happen. You have you have to be understood. I also say water when I go through um, drive-throughs as well. Man, so you just have to. Changed. You just got to get on in life. Yeah, you've changed. Yeah. What is productivity for a believer, and is it different? Do you think to a more secular definition of productivity? Yeah, definitely, and I think. Um, the one thing that's pointed out to me, I listened to um, a podcast which you put me on to uh, because they had an episode about the metaverse, which we are going to get around to talking about at some point. Mm. Redeeming mm. Productivity is the name of the podcast. And uh, this guy, uh, I've forgotten his name. Let me just pull his name up on oh, screen. Oh, Reagan, Reagan Rose. Reagan Rose. Reagan Rose. Um, and he said that he has a beef with getting things done by david allen uh, he said that the book sort of promises a a zen-like ability to be ready for anything so that you've just sort mm. of got a system so that you can just always be you know you're like water or something is the expression where it's like right. you know the uh, when you when when something splashes in water it makes exactly the the right number of ripples in response and no more and no less and so you just kind mm. of need this system that's going to and um, uh, and Regan points out, he says, yeah, you would say that if you're sort of a Buddhist, which David Allen sort of is, but mm. Christians sort of didn't ought to be. Yeah. Because our work has been cursed. Mm. So, you know, if we find it hard, if we're gardening and we're finding lots of thorns and thistles, uh, newsflash breaking 6,000 years ago, um, curse and if there's going to be sweat uh, in order to get the work done um yeah. then that's yeah. all normal and to be expected and therefore there is this kind of promise of a, a a productive life of work which is a which is sort of smooth and and easy and it just and it isn't like that that's not to say yeah. that we shouldn't be sensible and have robust systems and all that kind of stuff it's just mm. that promise um of it's productivity and i know that the, the tony robbins kind of thing as well isn't it is productivity and fulfillment mm. and there's a whole load of stuff around that mm. and if you're a christian you're listening to that stuff just going this is sort of christianity isn't it um except without jesus who is the one who yeah. can give you the spirit that will actually help you to change. <laughs> so it doesn't really sound to me so much like Christianity is a sort of thing that the, the Pharisees were peddling. That was just putting burdens on people because it's right. making you that you the savior, isn't it? Yeah. It's not even Tony Robbins who's the savior. It's you. Like you can do this if you if you put into practice these steps, if you work hard enough, if you want it enough, you know, dream a dream. And in the end, what sounds like a wonderfully 
oh, what an open-ended wonderland that sounds like. It's more of a hellish prison because you are trapped by your own impossibility, uh, the impossibility of you being God. You, you cannot do certain things. You weren't made to. So it's this kind of a lack of grace in a lot of these books, it seems to mm. me. And a lot of, of a failure to acknowledge our own frailty, our own fallibility and so on. So I guess that's kind of the issue. I thought there was a really helpful paragraph. Matt Perman, who was a guy, I'm not sure what he's doing now. I think he used to work for Desiring God and certainly uh, John Piper wrote the foreword to, the, to his book, What's Best Next? I thought he wrote something that's quite useful. He said, when most people think of productivity, they think of efficiency getting more things done in less time. When we see so many th things coming at us, our tendency is to speed up. This isn't always bad, but if this is our first and primary solution, it will backfire. He says, while efficiency is important, it works only when we make it secondary, not primary. It doesn't matter how efficient you are if you're doing the wrong things in the first place. More important, he says, than efficiency is effectiveness. In other words, getting the right things done. In other words, productivity is not first about getting more things done faster, it's about getting the right things done. And I think to me that sounds like it's approaching more of what you might call a Christian take on productivity, because it, it reminds me of reminds me of Mary and Martha actually in Luke chapter 10, you know, when Jesus says, well, um, you know, she has chosen what is what is better, is choosing the best thing in this situation. Um, and I think that's a, that's huge because I, if you think about what does productivity look like for Mary and Martha in Luke chapter ten, I'm guessing not many of the books in the genre would say, "Well, just sit at Jesus's feet and listen to him," like Mary does. But that is obviously exactly what Jesus commends. And what's really interesting about it, having looked at it again today, is for those of us who are in some sort of Christian ministry, whatever that means. Um, Jesus commends that sitting and listening to him even above serving him, which is what uh, Martha is trying to do, right? So I think, I mean, I, I really need to hear that. I spend so much time doing ministry that just crowds out just sitting and listening to him. And I think I, I, think I kid myself that doing ministry is listening to him when actually uh, it's not. So I think going back to that definition of productivity, um, it's choosing what is best in any given situation. And for most of us, I think we could do, uh, we do a lot better, a lot more just sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening, just monotasking, listening to Jesus. Yeah. And actually, if we look at how Jesus operated, we only really have uh, accounts of a two to three year period of his life where right. he's he's moving around a lot and he's speaking a lot. But it's kind of quite there's it's hard to discern serious progressions in productivity in that period of time um, because the, the the gospels have slightly different emphases and orders and and, and that kind of thing. Mm. And how's the book going, Jesus? Well, he didn't write a book. Um, he didn't um, he he didn't he didn't establish a specific organization. You know, he gave principles for the church. And then I guess what's more applicable for us is the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. And, I mean, it's sort of comical as a overstretched goal of you make disciples of all nations. 
So this is the big picture. If you want some blue sky thinking before Jesus goes into literally the blue sky um, uh, and ascends into heaven, uh, here's the plan. Go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, let me know how you get on. Uh, sayonara. And, and they kind of get on with it. And mm. there are lots of little churches within a lifetime. And then are, there are some more churches a lifetime mm -hmm. after that. And then eventually the Roman Empire becomes Christian, but not for a few hundred years. And then the whole West is Christianized and for a thousand years is predominantly Christian. Now that seems to be going quite well. That's now declining. Other parts of the world are becoming more and more Christian. China is becoming more Christian. Um, and so it can't, you know, so I think we like big goals and ambitions. Well, how bigger could make disciples of all nations be? But also God is playing the long game in building his kingdom. And I think we consistently think of ourselves as I've got a big list of stuff to get done. Um, and this is pointed out again on that uh, Redeeming Productivity podcast when uh, Regan was interviewing um, a guy who'd written a, a book about this kind of stuff as well, Jordan uh, Rayner, where they basically said, God will finish my to-do list if it's also on his to-do list. There's quite a good chance that a lot of your to-do list is only on your list and it's not on anybody else's. Um, and it was sort of pointed out that God used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and he could have used Moses to take them into the promised land. But he didn't. Uh, he used Joshua. And God uses different people. And then, you know, I was just thinking about this afterwards, how God will raise up someone like Gideon um, to right. do his work for him. Because with someone like Gideon, it's obvious that it's God at work and not some mighty guy called Gideon, because Gideon's kind of a joke, you know, when he is called by the angel or Jesus, I don't know how your Christology is working there. Gideon says, um, I'm from the smallest clan of the weakest tribe, mm. you know, and I can't do Wednesdays. You know, it's, yeah. it's like... <laughs> and the angel said, yeah, that's kind of the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, get this great army together. And we, yeah, don't need half of those. Get it smaller, get smaller, get smaller. <laughs> Whichever one's cut with their hands, <laughs> you know, um, it's okay because I'm going to make the enemy panic anyway. So um, you don't even know which, you don't even need to know which end of a sword to hold. To be honest, for me, the thing is always, you know, the indispensability of myself to the kingdom of God, the importance of getting through my list and the things that I think would be really cool, the things that I would like to get done. Yeah. So I'm my own worst enemy in that um, because God hasn't put that burden on me. I've put that burden on myself. Yeah, and I guess this is one of the reasons why one of the most countercultural things for us that Jesus does is retreat a lot and spend a lot of time in solitude and a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time being alone. That seems to really chafe at us because it seems, if we're honest, I think as Christians, we sort of feel like that's, that's probably wasted time, mm. you know. So... Um, 
that for me is again what, what's interesting in a, in a lot of the productivity literature is that rest is often pitted against productivity so they're like two separate things and sleep for example is kind of the enemy of productivity what you're going to spend a third of your life unconscious literally doing nothing except snoring mm. um you know, it's it's there's no productivity there at all. And yet it seems that if you're approaching a Christian definition of productivity, you have to say that sleep and, and rest more broadly is not opposed to productivity, is very much a part of it. God has given you that so that you will be more productive. He wants you to have aloneness. He wants you to have solitude. He wants you to retreat, to pray, to be silent, um, to switch off the device, I think, a lot of the time. So... That I think is is one of the distinctives. Just being able to, um, yeah, resist the urge to to be constantly producing stuff and actually acknowledging your finitude. You know, I have definitely noticed that since I took the Lord's Day Sabbath much more seriously in the last few years, I am more productive in the week hmm. because, and I really look forward to Sunday and not working. And when I am uh, on Sunday, I'm enjoying it. I am. I don't check him. I don't check my email. I don't look at anything. I don't think about anything. Yesterday, I was recording on a Monday. I had to work yesterday because I had no choice over it. And about yeah. once or twice a year, I have to work on a Sunday because, you know, a, a thing has happened and I'm not always in charge of my own schedule. But I would. I'd never choose to work, e even on Sunday night to get a head start mm -hmm. on the week, anything like that. Um, You're a bit and, like Eric Little, aren't you, in that respect? Well, kind of. But I, I think yeah. that's for others to say. Uh, <laughs> All we need is Van Gelis to write a soundtrack and Bob's yeah, uncle. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, of me typing uh, in the... Uh, <laughs> no, refusing in, to type. Refusing yeah. to type, Refus yes, that's right. Yeah. Laying my... Yeah, that's right. Um, but when I type, I feel God's pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, but I, I really do think that it's helped me work and, and I, it's no surprise really, I'm reading Deep Work by Cal Newport, one of the things he does talk about, and we can talk about the importance of deep work and what that is, partly in, you know, it's not shallow work, there are sort of two types of work, I suppose, and that's what he is postulating. But actually, there's a lot of scientific data, I believe, which backs up the fact that you are much more um, productive when you have also a break in the middle of the day where mm. you take a full lunch hour go for a walk clear your head don't take a device with you or at least don't don't check your messages or do anything like that because that's just basically gonna do something to your brain that means that when it comes back to work it's mm. it's it's now tired so yes you need a proper reboot yeah yeah so I think that I think the rest is really important. And then at the end of the day, whatever time you decide to shut your shut the laptop or whatever work you do, switch off the machine, walk away. It's really important that you you don't keep checking your messages. Yeah. And it's not just because of a thing called work life balance, which I'm increasingly thinking is a is a myth anyway. But we can maybe get into that. Um, it's not just about the balance is the fact that you won't work as well the next morning if an email and a bunch of 
stuff has been gnawing away at your brain um, overnight and you come back to it in the morning, it's much, much more healthy just to go, okay, that's my last email of the day. That's the last thing I'm doing. You put the laptop yeah. down, you walk, uh, you walk out. One of the guests on the Redeeming Productivity um, <clears throat> podcast that you and I've been listening to. We're going to have to get him on, aren't we? I mean, this is slightly obscene now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I think he seems like a guy. But it was one of his guests who said that um, what he'd done is he'd sort of set it up so that he only gets he checks for emails and texts. I think sort of like three times a day. I think mm. he was saying. Um, and he said it's it's very interesting that it's be it's become almost axiomatic that we have our best ideas in the shower. You know. <laughs> Why? Well, it's the only place left that is a smartphone-free zone for most people. I think there might be something in that. Yeah. So I've I've gone nuclear option, and I've decided, as as you know, as listeners to our previous shows know, I don't really do New New Year's resolutions. Nevertheless, I've made a resolution which happens to have fallen at the beginning of a new year, and the resolution is that I'm going to check emails and texts twice a day. I've gone nuclear option. I'm going to go twelve o'clock and four o'clock to give me a bit of time at the end of the workday to deal with it, but try not to check it otherwise. That's what I'm going to try and do. You can talk to me in a couple of weeks and ask me how it's going, but I've just become so convicted of how scattered I feel, mm. how just thinly spread and not present and not going, you know, not doing, the, I've not read the, the cow book, but deep work sounds like the sort of thing I want to be doing more of. But let's just talk about email then in particular. Mm. Um, because I think that was one of my uh, take homes from the from the book, which I, as I say literally mm. finished reading this morning. And not only does he sort of go a bit nuclear on social media, um, but we can talk about that. But it feels like we've sort of done that before. And we all know that it's toxic and a drug. And that's why I don't have it on my phone and I don't have it on my iPad. Um, and I'm not particularly present on Facebook and, you know, but email, I think, is something through which I've sort of used it as my to-do list, which in some senses I'm okay with. But actually, there's this email chain conversation thread thing, which just drips away where 15 people are included on this email or somebody sends you something and just sort of says thoughts on this. It's just like, and that, this is one thing where I'm going to positively quote, hmm. stand back, Mark Driscoll. Um, cause he was quite big on productivity, uh, when he started mm -hmm. about, especially men, you need to, you know, you need to think about your weight. You need to think about your productivity. You need to think about this and that and the other, and mm -hmm. this kind of boot camp stuff. He should always have been doing a parachurch men's ministry. I don't know why he ended up running yeah, a church. He's, he's, anyway. a, he's a, he's a Charlie Robbins guy. Not Charlie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony yeah. Robbins. Tony Robbins. Yeah. He says email is work you've not agreed to do. And I mean, maybe he read that somewhere, but. It's a really helpful thing. And I, so I need to stop indulging that kind of email. And one key way to do that is to stop sending those kinds of emails. Yes. Um, Especially after 12 p.m. on a Friday, if I may yeah. say. Yeah, but I just think any time. I think I don't want to be given a half half thing. Yeah. And I, I, I do this. And I know I do this, and I and you are one of the victims of this, and I'm going to stop doing it 
Bless you, brother. So help me God. I mean, we do it by text. Um, and we yes. have to kind of, you know, and occasionally I just... Well, plus there's time zones problems as well. So sometimes I wake up, dear listener, to yeah. a 6 a.m. text from James Carey. Yeah, which it's is... not his fault because yeah. he's living five hours in the future. It's just the way... Some say five years in the future, but, you know, again, that's for others to say. That's it's not for me to say. To say. Yeah. 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 Email us at cooperandcarey at gmail.com You have an email. One thing to say on emails before we do that is, is it a sin to not respond to an email? I've been thinking about this for quite a lot. I recently reached out via email to an old chum of mine um, asking him if he wanted to come on the show. Now, and I've not heard a response back. Now, our listeners are probably thinking, smart guy. And I would agree. I mean, <laughs> you know, but it, it occurred to me, like, and I didn't take offense at that because I know he is, he's a pastor and he also has, you know, pretty you know, much higher profile than either of us. And therefore he's got more things on his plate. He doesn't need to, I, I'm not owed an answer. It's fine. I mean, I, I'm just assuming he's too busy and doesn't think it's a, a good use of his time, which is a very valid response. So that made me think, well, maybe there are emails I get where actually it wouldn't be sinful to just kind of triage them into the into the archive and not actually respond. I don't know. What do you think? It is difficult, isn't it? And I think those productivity books are probably a bit more robust. Um, and it may be that the way, again, the way we send emails and use email means that we are reaping the whirlwind of emails because we are... Mm -hmm we are also those who bombard others it is difficult because we do have to take ownership of our time and they are not the only person in the equation the person who's emailed you your your children are also part of it your wife is part exactly. of it um your mission of the the deep work that you want to do that requires your undivided attention which basically squeezes the amount of time that you can you know if you spent half an hour on your email every day and you're going to send better emails how many emails are you going to type read and respond to make a plan for and then send in half an hour yeah. two yeah well newsflash i get more than two emails a day i don't know about you barry i get more than two emails a day from you <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't actually listeners but I'm sure that I'm also asking people equally unreasonable things. Give give your brain space to my sudden idea that I've had. Yeah, that's what I find most difficult. Not not specifically from you, but just generally, is just. This, but also from me. That, but maybe a bit from you, um, because you are an ideas generator, um, mm. and I think my mind works. I get very easily derailed. I know every. I know we're being told everybody gets derailed now. Like what is it they say? A single a text interruption for someone sort of sets you back an hour or something you know what you're doing um but i think that's i've realized how utterly um yeah monotasky i am mm. and and yet it was ironic I, I was listening to a great episode recommended by one of our patrons um which i'll refer to in a minute and even as I was listening to that podcast episode about monotasking i'm reading their website at the same time <laughs> 
I'm thinking, get a grip. It's just become such a, so ingrained in us, hasn't it? Um, we've almost forgotten how to be, uh, yeah, to, to, to be planted in one particular spot, just focusing. One of the tips they had was when you're having a conversation with someone, treat it as if you're recording a podcast episode. So you're really, really listening. Well, hopefully, I, James obviously doesn't listen to anything I say, because why would he? But yeah, it's just that sort of level of really, really concentrating. And I, I find that I feel like I've the, the muscles that I used to have to be able to do that have kind of atrophied a bit. Do you not feel that? I feel like I don't want to blame the iPhone for everything, but I think it's got a large role in this. That's partly why I've still not updated. I've got an old iPhone SE, which is the steam is starting to come out of it. <laughs> but I don't particularly want to spend. It runs on steam, that's why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, even now, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos whilst doing household tasks. And actually, I've, mm. I've, I've pulled that back a bit. Mm. Um, even though I still do that a fair bit, I don't do it all the time. Whenever I go for a walk... Um, I now don't listen to anything when I'm walking. I just try not to think about anything, actually. Sometimes, I mean, Cal mm. Newport would say, you know, you may have a problem that you're trying to solve. And actually, when I used to go swimming, sometimes when I was writing a sitcom script or something, I might just thinking, I can't quite work out how to get the guy to put the biscuit tin um, under the car in order to, and by the time I've swum a few lanes, I'm like, oh, I know, yeah. I know how to do that. The one other thing I was going to mention before, I'd, I'd love to know what you're going to do differently this year and anything else, mm. is the deep work thing. I was just going to talk about how Cal Newport contrasts deep work and shallow work. Mm. And that deep work is the thing where you really do need to give this thing your focused time in order to get your best work done mm. and he makes the case that in a, in a way in a, in a world of there's so much automation and we do live in a gig economy where relatively unskilled work can just be done by somebody you know three time zones away or it can be commoditized that actually the value and this is not a christian argument but i think it's a it's a good one nonetheless the value of deep work is that you're doing something that is you know it's valuable it's it's you're putting things together that nobody else has put together before you're creating something you're creating something special in his case he's writing academic research papers um that are trying to be of an excellent quality so that he gets tenured as a professor mm. and for me it would be a, a, a scripts or something that i would be i would be writing and i don't know what it would be for for other people obviously we've sort of lent on the writing quite heavily but it may be mm -hmm. It may be the arts, but it may be project management. It may be uh, a whole load of of other things. It's valuable. And because we do live in such an age of a distraction, it is rare. Um, but it is also meaningful. You know, it really connects with people if you're doing something good. And I think that's maybe... Um, mm. I'm reading a lot of scripts at the moment for a competition that I've been helping to run. And I'm reading a lot of scripts that actually have some interesting characters and some half decent jokes in them but mm. nine out of ten of them it's just like this this doesn't really mean anything um mm. this is a collection of some funny people in a possibly funny situation i don't really know why i'm watching this 
Um, and it's an annoying question to be asked. And it's in one of the great episodes of Seinfeld when they're pitching a, sh a show for Seinfeld to the network and say mm. it's about nothing. Um, and the head of commissioning at NBC says, but why am I watching it? And George says, because it's on TV. <laughs> uh, to which the NBC guy says, not yet. Because it has to have a reason to exist. Yeah. And so I think um, that deep work requires deep concentration and therefore you have to plan to remove distractions, mm -hmm. uh, make sort of ritualize it, get a nice new notebook, you know, do various mm. sort of things to put yourself on the hook. Uh, for getting Notebooks it. are available on the Cooper and Carey website, by the way. They Still, are. Sorry, carry on. Um, but then also take breaks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, shut down social media. He suggests you just try try living without it for 30 days and don't announce that you're not doing social media for 30 on days. Yes, just don't yeah. do it and see if anybody mm. notices that you weren't there mm. and you'll almost certainly discover that they didn't <laughs> notice you weren't there. Yeah. Well, so is part of that then knowing what your main priority is in any given season of life? Because again, there's that very interesting bit where, you know, Jesus has healed a bunch of people and then then he withdraws to get some solitude and all the disciples come out to try and find him and they say everyone's looking for you and jesus says oh you know sorry i better get back there because they obviously need me to heal them no he says oh let's go somewhere else <laughs> which is amazing let's go somewhere else why in order that i may preach there also for that is what i came out for so there's a really interesting ruthless elimination in Jesus's life of, no, actually, yeah, the healing is certainly a part, but it's not my main priority. My main priority is preaching. So mm. there are gonna be times where I say no to people's physical needs. Jesus, Jesus says no to people who, are, who have physical needs, who he could heal, presumably, mm. in order to do what he principally came from. And I just thought that's very interesting with COVID actually, just as a, a tiny sidebar that prioritization of, of spiritual needs over physical needs, I think we've flipped that. So we do prioritize physical needs in people rather than spiritual. That's why we've closed down churches. But if we had the same priorities as Jesus, I don't think we would. But anyway, that's that's a sidebar. It's a really good thing. point. And anybody who's involved in some kind of Christian small group will have experience of the fact that, you know, what can we be praying for each other? Health, 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 exactly. health. Exactly. Spiritual maturity, discipleship. Nah, just the sore arm, please. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah. it's really frustrating. It's playing havoc with my forehand. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Hello. I am your Cooper and Terry virtual assistant. I am predestined to assist you. The only other thing to say on the deep work thing is the fact that shallow work is also got to be done you know you you, you have other mm. tasks to do yeah but the deep work needs to take priority but also bear in mind that you probably can't do it for hours and hours and there is a law of diminishing returns so again going back to that thing about kind of some kind of superman making yourself work 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 and when you're when you're younger you probably can go for longer and you can pull all-nighters and, and do all this kind of stuff and um 
but the other thing to bear in mind is so i just thought of something else which i must have got but it's about how we educate people and we sort mm. of set themselves up for some terrible habits but the reality is that and i say this when i'm talking to people writing sitcoms as well i don't think you can write for much more than three or four hours a day mm. and whenever you read the habits of highly successful writers most of them stop at lunchtime mm. or, or they get up super early like mark, mark Wahlberg and get it done by breakfast. Yeah, and I've been trying to do that already, and I'm pleased to read that i was been doing the right thing. I try to get my writing done before lunch and not mm. do anything else. I don't agree to anything else. I try not to avoid, try not to have any meetings about anything, mm. unless I can't, mm. you know, uh, I'm not a monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of that. the um, hard work, sorry, the deep work and the and the shallow work um, that's helpful that's really yeah. helpful so you're not just going to become this powerhouse of deep work who locks themselves away like some kind of a hermit and emerges every two years with some great magnum opus um you know answers a few emails and then goes back in mm. um that's that's not it we've mentioned it a couple of times but also uh emily one of our patrons recommends reagan rose's website and podcast redeemingproductivity.com that is coming from a reformed Christian perspective. Not all of these obviously are. Um, Adrian recommends Plodactivity by Douglas Wilson. And the summary of that is plod, don't sprint, be fruitful like a tree, not efficient like a machine. I've, I've um, listened to the audio version of that and it is actually pretty good. good. And it really yeah. does uh, reveal and persuade you of the value of little and often, little and often, little and often. Mm. So we can talk more. I've got some thoughts about school. And I also mm. want to talk about the movie uh, Chef by John Favreau and Work-Life Balance. But we shall discuss that with uh, with our Patreons um, after, after we've wrapped uh, up the main podcast episode. So that's a little tease there to join us on Patreon. So if you would like to become a patron and get all sorts of wonderful goodies, you can go to our website and you'll see this lovely little Patreon red logo bottom right. Just click on that and uh, that will that will sort you out. Um, James, if people want to go old school and send us an email, after all we've said about email, but if they wanted to do that, um, how could they do that? They could email us cooperandcary at gmail.com and I do check the email. Um, we do I have it. it. I have three different uh, email browsers for up to seven different web addresses, oh, email wow. addresses. But that's mm. on um, that's on one that I do check every day, so I do see the mm -hmm. emails that come in, and you see them too. So mm -hmm. um, we and we sometimes reply to them just via email, and sometimes we'll have them on the episode. So just get in touch and tell us what you're thinking and what stuff you think we might want to talk about as well, and thoughts on on what we have talked about. But the the best way for access is Patreon and the Discord mm -hmm. chat as well uh, for Patreon yeah. members. But thank you for joining us for this chat on productivity. We will be back, God willing, uh, in two weeks' time with our next episode. So thanks very much. Cheerio. Cheerio. Can you imagine what, how good computer games will be in 15 years' time? Yeah, I can also imagine how old I'm going to be then. And I probably won't be able to see the screen, if indeed <laughs> there is a screen involved.